Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. For months, Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives have been considering a drastic, historic move, an action that's been set in motion only three other times in the history of the United States of America. A tug of war has been playing out in the halls of Congress between the party's liberal base and more moderate Democrats over whether or not to take serious action against the president. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has long resisted such action. You don't bring an indictment or you don't bring an impeachment unless you have all of the facts, the strongest possible case, uh, so that the um, uh, the president is held accountable one way or another. But then, last week, things started to change. Congress had been trying to gain access to a whistleblower complaint from someone inside the intelligence community. But the acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, would not turn over the complaint or offer details about what was in it. The office of the director of national intelligence has until tomorrow to respond to a subpoena issued by the House Intelligence Committee. It's all shrouded in mystery. It's having to do with a whistleblower complaint that the House Intelligence Committee chairman, Adam Schiff, calls a, quote, urgent concern. And that tension between Congress and the DNI was growing when, on September 18th, The Washington Post first reported what this complaint was actually all about. Uh, Well, tonight, The Washington Post has just broken this news, uh, a scoop that suggests that Chairman Adam Schiff was on to something. The headline is this. Trump's communications with foreign leader are part of whistleblower complaint that spurred standoff between spy chief and Congress. That once slow, deliberate decision-making that had been unfolding inside the Democratic caucus of the House of Representatives suddenly began to move very, very quickly. That's where we'll pick up this extraordinary story. The story of how in just this week, a whistleblower complaint led the Speaker of the House to formally announce a major move. The House would open a formal impeachment inquiry into the actions of the President of the United States. For the past several months, we have been investigating in our committees and litigating in the courts. So the House can gather all the relevant facts and consider whether to exercise its full Article I powers, including a constitutional power of the utmost gravity, approval of articles of impeachment. This episode is the story of what it sounds like when momentum toward an extraordinary news moment builds to a tipping point, and what transpired as the week ends so differently for American politics than it began. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. All right. Are you, have you had enough coffee today? I have not had enough coffee today. I had one at home. I usually have two at home.
That's Washington Post national security reporter Matt Zapatosky. He's part of the team of reporters who've been following this week's avalanche of news. I asked him to help me look back on how this huge, complicated story unfolded and where it leaves us now. As many news developments do, it started slowly with one story and a lot of questions. Uh, I think the initial report was this this complaint, this whistleblower complaint that we didn't know anything about was about Trump. And then the next step was, because the Washington Post reported it, was that this was about Trump and Ukraine. And I think everyone assumed that was Trump, Ukraine, the president, maybe an investigation. But then we reported and the journal reported that this was actually a phone call between the president, uh, our president, President Trump, and President Zelensky of Ukraine, where President Trump pressures... President Zelensky to investigate this matter involving Joe Biden's son, essentially go forward with this investigation that would help President Trump politically. The reporting suggested this whistleblower complaint centered around a July 25th call between Trump and his counterpart in Ukraine. And in the call, Trump pressed Ukraine's leader to investigate the son of former Vice President Joe Biden. Hunter Biden served for five years on the board of Ukraine's largest private gas company. Joe Biden, of course, is one of Trump's possible challengers in the 2020 presidential election. There was great pressure after this was revealed on the administration to release a transcript of this call, calls with foreign leaders. Generally, there's a process by which a transcript is created. And when I say transcript, there's like a talk to text kind of thing. There's a bunch of note takers. They come up with the dialogue. So there's all this pressure on the administration to release a transcript of this. The White House initially doesn't want to do it. Some people, including Bill Barr at the Justice Department, feel the opposite way. They feel like this call is not so bad and they should just air it out. And then there's President Trump, who is kind of on the side of it's not so bad, but he kind of likes the fight and also doesn't want to release. So that's kind of where we are during the weekend. There's all this internal debate. What There's pressure on the administration. And then what should we do with the transcript of this call? But that wasn't the only piece of this story circulating heading into this week. Something else, something seemingly related, was also unfolding. There were kind of two buckets of essentially military aid to Ukraine totaling about $400 million. And this gets held up kind of right in the week or maybe potentially two weeks leading up to this phone call that President Trump has with President Zelensky. And it's weird. So it gets withheld and Congress has already approved this money, about $400 million to go to Ukraine. It gets withheld and the bureaucrats in the government don't really have a clear sense why. It's just like the money's not going over and it should. We know Trump had said, hold it back. And President Trump has given mixed messages on why that was. It's still unclear, I guess, what the real motive was, but people are connecting this because this happened just a couple weeks or a week before his phone call with President Zelensky, people are wondering, are these two things related? You know, was he holding back this aid so he has some leverage over President Zelensky and then maybe he can force him to conduct these investigations he wants or get him thinking that, hey, you do what I want and this aid will come your way. By Sunday evening, there was one more big development. In an exchange with reporters outside the White House, Trump appeared to suggest that he did speak to the Ukrainian president about Biden. We had a great conversation. Uh, the 
conversation I had was largely congratulatory, was largely corruption, all of the corruption taking place, was largely the fact that we don't want our people, like Vice President Biden and his son, creating to the, the corruption already in the Ukraine. That seeming admission from the president led some senior Democrats to revive talks of impeachment hearings. Democrats have a little bit to work with there. It's not just anonymously sourced news reports. Not that those are wrong. They, they prove absolutely right in this case. They have something to work with, but they don't have the transcripts. The week, though, was, of course, just beginning. Amid this growing controversy, Trump actually has somewhere to be on Monday at a meeting of the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Among world leaders and on the backdrop of international diplomacy, the president is facing scrutiny over his communications with a leader of a foreign country. Keeping in mind the context of the week that was, there's been all these revelations, and now there's this pressure building on President Trump to release the transcript as he's up in New York, you know, doing critical diplomatic functions. There's also a question of what Democrats are going to do with this. You know, there's been so many scandals, even of this ilk, right? If you, in the Mueller report, Trump presses his then attorney general, Jeff Sessions, to investigate Hillary Clinton, a political opponent. So there's this question, how big a deal is this? How is this going to play? And there's a great quest among reporters. We got to get this transcript or we got to learn more about this transcript. By Monday night, a group of seven freshman Democrats who have previously been against impeachment decide they don't need to wait for that transcript to make a decision. Then these seven Democrats publish an op-ed saying that they're on board, and that feels like a pivotal moment. It maybe feels that way in hindsight. Like, I think everyone was operating pretty cautiously in terms of reporters, because Nancy Pelosi is kind of the critical voice here. And she, throughout all of these scandals, has been like, no, we're not, we're just not going down that road. That op-ed from seven freshman Democrats with credentials in the military, defense, or U.S. intelligence published in The Washington Post. It called for an impeachment inquiry into the president. That call proved seismic, helping move other wavering Democrats from swing districts off the fence and toward impeachment. But that shift wouldn't quite reveal itself until Tuesday. So as we begin Tuesday, uh, we, one, we wonder, will he release this thing? That is the transcript of the phone call with the Ukrainian president. And we're getting conflicting reports. Mike Pompeo is still in the camp of don't release this thing. The Justice Department is in the camp of let's get out ahead of this. I mean, they even felt in the week before, let's get out ahead of this. Trump, as we understand it, and, and of course, like, it's hard to know what's on his mind and his mind shifts in the moment. But as we understand it, Trump is thinking, look, I'm going to drop this thing and it's not going to be the big ballyhooed thing that everyone expects it is. I'm going to embarrass all of these people who reported on this. And his thinking is it doesn't show an explicit quid pro quo. So it doesn't show that I said, hey, President Zelensky, I will release this aid to you if you do this investigation for me. It doesn't have like a smoking gun like that. So President Trump, as we understand it, is thinking this might be a dud. But he hasn't made a firm decision. So that's where we are kind of trending into the afternoon. And then after days of questions and mounting pressure on both Democrats and the White House, 
all of a sudden, things change very quickly. One is that we report that Speaker Pelosi is going to back an impeachment inquiry. And that is huge. You know, that is the huge news of the day. She has long resisted that step and she's now going to do it. And the other thing that happens very, very close, President Trump says he's going to release a transcript of this call. I don't think we knew it at the time, but he had had a conversation with Pelosi. And I think he thought, I'm going to dissuade her from moving forward. That obviously didn't work. Shortly after 5 p.m., Pelosi walked into a room full of reporters. Good afternoon. And she makes a major announcement. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. As we spilled into the night, there were still some questions like Trump has promised this, but we didn't know when it would land. We didn't know exactly in what form. There was kind of mixed accounts of whether this was going to be actual dialogue, like a transcript form like it was, or if this was going to be like a description or something. There was also this question of the actual whistleblower complaint. So the whistleblower complaint we knew we had reported was based on this phone call, at least in part on this phone call, but we knew that there were other things. It wasn't exclusively based on this phone call. So now Trump is committed to releasing the transcript, but the complaint is a little murkier. It was unclear whether he was going to do that. So that's sort of where we end the night, expecting the rough transcript to come out the next day and wondering what would happen with the actual whistleblower complaint. Okay, so Wednesday morning comes and we get to read this. So describe to me sort of how you received the original letter, what came with it, and and what you – what that experience was like. Yeah, so they released a – out of this transcript, big blocks of text with, you know, the speaker's names next to them, like you would expect in a document formulated like a transcript. And to my mind, it was sort of more explosive than I had thought it could be. It's true that Trump didn't explicitly tie Ukrainian military aid to these Biden investigations. It's true, Ukrainian military aid never really comes up. That said, the the call starts with Trump kind of saying, we've been so good to you, we've been so good to you. The Ukrainian president talks about buying missiles from the US, and then President Trump just sort of instantly goes in, I need you to do me a favor though, and starts talking about these investigations We already knew he had talked about investigations, but the one explosive revelation that really hit me was that President Trump also invoked his own attorney general, Bill Barr. He said to the Ukrainian president, look, you got to talk to Bill Barr. Bill Barr will help you if you want to advance these investigations. He mentioned the Bidens by name. It wasn't like pursue this corruption case and everyone knows that's Biden. He mentioned the Bidens by name. He mentioned... It's a weird kind of conspiracy theory, but he mentioned Ukraine trying to get a hold of the DNC server that Russia hacked, which he seemed to believe is in Ukraine, um, and having Ukraine help with this investigation into the origins of the special counsel probe. I mean, it's just this 
remarkable, very short, but like wide ranging conversation. And the whole tone is, look, we've been good to you. You got to help me with this. And it ends very importantly. I thought this was particularly notable too, with President Trump saying to Zelensky, look, call me up. You can come to the White House and have a meeting sometime. That's important because Zelensky really, really wanted something like that. There's never an explicit quid pro quo. And I think Trump was hanging his hat on, well, there's not an explicit quid pro quo. So this is going to be a dud. But the whole context of the conversation, the fact that we know when this conversation is happening, the aid is kind of hanging out there. It was really remarkable. So what don't we know at that point about the context of the entire complaint? Yeah. Well, we don't know. We know that the complaint is bigger than the call, although it's centered on the call. And we don't know, too, definitively whether the complaint is going to come out. 2.45 p.m. Wednesday in our studio with Devlin Barrett. When do we expect to see, if at all, this full complaint? Uh, I think we'll see it by the end of the week. Uh, I think the White House plan is to, to put it out by the end of the week. And 3 p.m. Uh, Nunes just told the House chamber that the acting DNI will transmit the complaint to Congress at or by 4 p.m. today. Throw it out. Shut it down. Oh, my God. This, this undermines the entire episode. That interview got overtaken by events and never aired. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. The next day, um, the acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, was going to testify on Capitol Hill. So we kind of figured either right right before he testifies, maybe right after, if the administration or lawmakers want to make it easier on him, though I don't know why they would, we will see this actual complaint. And indeed, just minutes before he starts testifying, Adam Schiff tweets out a link to the complaint. Thursday morning, we finally see this official complaint. Let's just walk through sort of the the key takeaways from the complaint. Overall, what's at the heart of it? So the call remains at the heart of it, the July 25th call. And why that's at the heart of it is that this whistleblower alleges it essentially shows that the president was soliciting foreign interference in the 2020 election, that he was abusing his office by asking Ukraine to help him in the 2020 election. And he knows that from from the call. The whistleblower did not hear the call, wasn't on the call, wasn't like a note taker for the call, but had been told of it by other White House officials who the whistleblower described as being pretty concerned about this. What does the complaint say about how the White House handled the July 25th call with Ukraine's president? Well, the whistleblower says they handled it quite problematically. So by the whistleblower's account, which again is not a direct one, the whistleblower is hearing this from other officials. But by those other officials' accounts, this call is supposed to be an innocuous kind of courtesy with a foreign leader. And therefore, it's not going to be classified and just be stored in a normal system But officials, lawyers in particular, are so alarmed that the president has abused his office that they decide 
we can't just keep this in the regular spot to store these things. So by the whistleblower's account, they move it to this super classified uh, system. Even though there's nothing in it that necessarily needs to be classified? By the whistleblower's account, there's nothing in it that needs to be classified. By the whistleblower's account, um, it is moved essentially for political reasons because White House lawyers realize how damaging this could be to President Trump, which is that to me is the most remarkable thing in the complaint just based on when it came out. So we already knew about the call. We had the transcript of the call. So we knew how sort of bad that was. We had some new descriptions in the whistleblower's complaint about the call. We knew he very forcefully felt this was inappropriate. But the new fact that he revealed or new allegation that he revealed was it's not just that this call happened. It's that this call happened and the official record of it is kind of squirreled away to a place where nobody's going to be able to get it and kind of authorities misuse their classification abilities to try to tamp this thing down for political reasons because they know it's going to be bad for Trump. And in this, uh, in an appendix, on the complaint, which once was classified but is now declassified at least in part, the whistleblower claims that officials have told him this wasn't the first time something like that happened. So according to the complaint, were others outside the White House involved in trying to contain the potential damage or was it just White House officials? Well, in terms of trying to contain the potential damage, that would be White House lawyers. But were others outside the White House involved in kind of the wrongdoing here? Yes. The whistleblower The thrust of his complaint is the call, but he puts it in context, essentially looking at some public reporting plus details on the call and spelling out how Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, also was agitating for an investigation of the Bidens. Now, much of that was public. He he was not shy about talking to any TV anchor or news reporter who would listen about how bad Biden was and how this needed to be investigated. But the whistleblower puts together this kind of remarkable chronology, some of it based on he knows this call was on July 25th. But then looking at what Rudy was doing right around those, those times and also looking at how and these aren't people in the White House, but how diplomats, how ambassadors are kind of left scrambling to contain the damage that Rudy is doing just to diplomacy. So Ukrainian officials aren't really, by the whistleblower's account, aren't really sure how to handle, you know, this is the president's personal lawyer asking them to do these investigations. Is that like an official request from the government? They rely on the U.S. for a lot of aid. What should they do? So diplomats, by the whistleblower's account, are having to give Ukrainian officials advice. Here's how to navigate this. It's just sort of a remarkable thing. So there is some outside the government involvement in that respect. Does the complaint give us more information about Trump's use of military aid as a potential reward for Zelensky? Well, it it, it goes into the context, but it, it, it is not brought up on the call. So the complainant certainly feels that there is kind of a pay to play going on here. And he doesn't use those, the complainant doesn't use those words exactly, but he essentially says like officials felt that there was a sort of, we're not going to engage with Ukraine. We're not going to give Ukraine a White House meeting unless they help us with this. That's just kind of the sense he gets from White House officials. And some of that is informed, of course, by the call. But on the call, military aid is not explicitly mentioned. He does bring it up in the complaint, right? So he's telling an entire story. But in some ways, that's him you know, weaving a lot of different pieces, some of them public, some of them private together. Okay. Is there anything else from the complaint that was notable that you want to mention? I I guess I would say this. So one of the things that is notable about the complaint is he describes this call. He hasn't seen the call. 
but he gives a remarkably accurate kind of account of it. You know, even though he hasn't seen it, he's able to identify that um, the president brings up the DNC server in Ukraine and brings up the Biden. So he has he does have credible sources. It seems this is not a person who seems to be making up that he's talking to other officials. He he's demonstrated that he's talking to officials in the know. Meanwhile, while reporters and the public are reading through the complaint Thursday morning, Joseph McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, is testifying to Congress about that very complaint. You solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you will give today shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. So McGuire is the acting director of national intelligence. To back up a little bit, The whistleblower in this case files his complaint with the inspector general of the intelligence community. And that's what you're supposed to do if you're in the intelligence community and you see possible illegality, wrongdoing. Um, So he files it with the inspector general of the intelligence community. And then there's this process when uh, a whistleblower complaint is urgent that it's shipped off to the intelligence committees in Congress. But That process has it being routed through the acting director of national intelligence, in this case, McGuire. It doesn't end up going to Congress. It goes from the whistleblower to the inspector general to McGuire, and then it's waylaid. We now know that McGuire had reached out to the White House Counsel's Office and to the Justice Department and asked, can I turn this thing over to Congress? Because it involves a a presidential conversation. You know, the president has certain privileges and one is to keep his conversation secret. So McGuire wants advice about that. And also this law that requires the complaint to be handed over to Congress when it represents an urgent kind of matter, it contemplates complaints that are really specific kind of to intelligence concerns. And McGuire wasn't sure that this quite fit the bill because essentially the complainant was worried about a campaign finance violation. What does that have to do with intelligence concerns? The Justice Department ends up issuing a legal opinion that backs him on that, that says, no, this this does not need to go. This should not go. I think the whistleblower probably would argue, well, this was an intelligence concern. Even setting aside the campaign finance violation, what about the storing of this on a classified system? That clearly seems to be an intelligence maneuver. But McGuire does not immediately hand it over to Congress. He does work with the inspector general and eventually Congress is notified that this complaint exists. And that's kind of what kicks off everything. So Congress is told that this complaint exists, uh, but McGuire is holding it back from them. They make some noise. The reporting begins. But that's why they want McGuire on the Hill to be like, what the heck, man? Why didn't you give us this uh, give us this complaint as you should have? And Democrats have raised particular flags over the fact that McGuire took this to an executive executive branch people who report to the president when in in and of itself it was a complaint about the president's actions. Yeah, that was really Democrats focus at the hearing. So they're peppering McGuire, you know, a whistleblower complaint to the inspector general. These are supposed to be kind of independent things that get independent scrutiny. The subject of the complaint is President Trump very clearly. But the first thing McGuire does is take it to White House lawyers, you know, President Trump's not his personal lawyers, but lawyers in the office that President Trump leads. The second thing he does is go to the Justice Department Office of Legal Counsel, which is a little more independent, but this Justice Department in particular has faced some criticism for not being independent. And additionally, Bill Barr is mentioned in the complaint. The complainant talks about, you know, the call and talks about how 
Bill Barr was said to be involved in this effort to um, to press for an investigation. Now, we know now, having seen the transcript of the call, that's because President Trump brings him up and Bill Barr denies that he he says he didn't even know about this until the complaint kind of makes its way to Justice Department. And he was never asked by President Trump to get in touch with Zelensky and investigate this thing. But so you have the subject of the complaint and I don't know. I don't know if you would call him a witness, but another person mentioned in the complaint, and those are the two bodies that you go to for advice on this. Okay. So a whistleblower from the intelligence community raising flags through his complaint about the president of the United States and then it flowing through this system that's never really quite experienced a complaint like this one before that's at odds with the president of the United States. How is that sort of putting a test on the Justice Department and their relationship with Congress and, and everything that's going on? I think it's exas- – for the Justice Department, it is exacerbating an already extremely frayed relationship. So the Justice Department throughout the Trump presidency has really fought congressional requests. They've you know, defended the president's various assertions of privileges. They've prevented people from testifying or prevented people from testifying on certain topics. They've defended the administration when it has refused to turn over documents that Congress wanted. And here you have the Justice Department who's who's really, I mean, in terms of in the intelligence community can be a peripheral player, right? Like I'm sure most of most complaints that go to the intelligence community inspector general don't necessarily ever touch the Justice Department, but this one's just weird enough that it does. And again, it puts the Justice Department in the position of defending the administration's reluctance to give anything to Congress. So that, you know, further strains their relationship with Congress. All right. At the end of this week, where does the House stand on an impeachment inquiry? Well, they're on one. Um, I don't think I don't know if this hearing technically counts as like the kickoff to that, because I think it was in the works, you know, before they had formally announced the impeachment inquiry began. But they're on one. We're also getting into this season where lawmakers aren't in session all that often. So we'll see where it goes from here. But Nancy Pelosi is on board. They have some critical decisions to make, which I don't know if those will be made in days, weeks or months, but about what areas they're going to make a part of impeachment, right? So it could be just Ukraine. And there's a lot of Democrats feel like that would be the smartest play here. That has really resonated so far. Um, Some of these other issues are deep in the past. And if you keep it tight and focused, maybe that resonates with voters. But there are these other issues that have cropped up over time, like the Mueller investigation, that maybe you throw in that, you know, like the president's possible obstruction of the Mueller investigation. Do you do some article of impeachment on that? So they're on the impeachment inquiry. The respective committees that have been doing various investigations of Trump have to kind of decide what will be a part of this. um, And we'll just kind of see how that plays out. So what we'll have in the coming months, presumably, is more requests for documents, more witnesses, more public testimony as they decide what should be a part of that. All right. And what are you watching for? So uh, (laughs) I covered the Justice Department, so I'm watching to see how this plays for the Justice Department. Democrats, one of the things they're interested in is Bill Barr, the attorney general's role in all of this. He's mentioned on the call. He claims that he didn't really know anything about this until the call was flagged to the Justice Department. He certainly never um, talked with Trump about a Ukraine investigation, but I'm curious what Democrats can turn up on his role in deciding, if any, that President Trump shouldn't be charged or this complaint shouldn't be handed over to Congress. I'm curious, too, about some of those explosive assertions in the whistleblower complaint. I'm curious about one in particular that 
this wasn't the first time that there was some call where something inappropriate was said and it was moved to the classified system just to hide it. Like, what are those other calls, you know? Um, so that's something we're certainly trying to get to the bottom of. All right, Matt, I'm exhausted. I'm sure you are exhausted. Do you think this pace is going to continue until we see the end of, of this impeachment process? Oh, boy. I mean... Certainly, we are in a very hot time period right now. Like this has moved just so remarkably quickly when you think about that first story, which, gosh, I just had to do the date on this. It was only a, a several weeks ago or a couple weeks ago that we had that first story that said, um, it was only last week that we had the first story <laughs> that said um, that this complaint involves the president September himself. September 18th, just last yeah. Wednesday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah, almost <laughs> eight days ago, <laughs> eight days ago, we have the first story on this. And now we're in an impeachment inquiry. The pace has been just insane. The last eight days have been just insane. I assume it won't continue like that, um, but but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bumpy couple of months. All right. Well, buckle up for that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> this has been another episode of Can He Do That? Now, this week marks the beginning of an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. And now that it's begun, we have a question for you, our listeners. How interested would you be in hearing more frequent impeachment news updates here on this show? Let us know what you think by tweeting to me at Allison Mikes or shoot me an email at allison.michaels at washpost.com. Also, to read the full whistleblower complaint and the rough transcript of the Trump-Zelensky call, visit washingtonpost.com. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the heroic Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.